This time on Holy Ghost Notes. I have a confession. Well, then let's not talk about it. And then this rando dude comes in. My name is Matt. You're just ignorant. Gastric juices. What? And you're going to like it. Lucy Goosey. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Holy Ghost Notes. My name is Matt, and my co-host is Tim. Hey, hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going well, man. Thanks for joining me this morning. Yeah. Uh, I just got back from a vacation, and uh, I was thinking about this podcast while I was away, because I'm like, you know what? We're going to have to record another one as soon as I get back. Yep. And unfortunately for you, being the one who does a lot of the work uh, and post on these episodes, just puts a lot of strain on you to do everything in the 11th hour. Yeah, so okay. today is Tuesday, July 20th. You have you have four days. How long does it typically take you to, uh, as soon as we're done recording, you know, to get from that point until, hey, it's ready to, to push out to stores, so I, to streaming So services? I have a confession. Uh, when I started the podcast for the first, I don't know, 10 15 episodes I would actually listen to the entire thing um mix it to a T uh edit things out you know um really like long pauses the whole thing long pauses and stuff like that and um and so I would and I would while I was doing that pull like quotes for social media and like time stamps for like clips and stuff like that it was real involved um, I realized that wasn't really time conducive, <laughs> conducive and, and especially once we started like recording like the day before the episode needed to come out and like started releasing video and stuff. It which was, was often. Which was often. Often times. Yeah, as soon as we switched over to that kind of level of production. Um, now I don't even listen to the episode. I have a templated mix. I listen back to make sure that all the levels are right, <laughs> that there's no glitches. <laughs> Um, and then I, uh, I pull a few like little sound bites for the beginning intro thing. And then, and then it's, you know, off to the races, I bounce it out, upload it. So it really only takes me, I don't know, like all in like an hour. Yeah. That's not bad. Which isn't so bad. Yeah. Including, that's including not bad uploading and distribute, distributing and, you know, sometimes the you album know, graphic it's... will take a little longer, but yeah, it's not that bad. It's nice that Pro Tools has the feature where it just bounces um, in like double time or mm -hmm. triple time. I mean, I remember recording when August Prince Red recorded Thrill Seeker with Adam D. I remember we would have to bounce stuff in real time. So it's yep. just like, all right, I'm going to bounce the record. And he, you know, Adam D would click, all right, bounce to disc. And it would take 50 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, well, we can't really do anything. You guys <laughs> yeah. want to grab lunch? And then you listen to the record back now, and be like, shoot, this needs to be adjusted a little bit. And then you have to yeah. bounce it out again. <laughs> yeah, you get like three quarters of the way through. Yeah. It's like, ah, forgot to change that. <laughs> Start over. It's the worst, man. So that's a really that nice feature worst. for you. I mean, for everybody that it's it's like you can bounce to disc in a fraction of the time. Pro Tools has come a long way. I've been using it for years and um, they just, they, they keep, making the right updates you know it's the things that mm -hmm. it seems like i'm talking about and apparently other people are talking about i'm like thinking man this would be so much easier if i could just color code this or right. <laughs> if i could just yeah bounce in double time or triple time and uh it's like they're listening to me and they just make that yeah you know they make that change and yeah it's pretty cool yeah technology yeah man. that is music cool. has just gone gotten so uh so advanced not just music, but yeah. you know, music production as a whole. I was, I, I watched or I saw a meme the other day. We always talk about memes. 
uh, and it was like <laughs> it was a it was a picture of like a tape. Um, oop, my something just stopped. Hold on, my video stopped. I just started again. All good. Um, You're good. Yeah, so I it was like a picture of um, a producer with like a tape machine. Like I don't know if you if you've seen like like tape recording, um, not cassette, mm-hmm. but like actual like real um, real tape recording. And uh, he was like, "Hey, I I spliced this uh, this tape for you so I could get this cool effect." And that was like back in the day. And then present day was like, I had to edit every single one of your notes to make it sound good. and it's so funny i mean like pro tools is based on all of the concepts from like early music production you know like tape and editing and it's all like how it's laid out is very similar to how it was it's just the capabilities Mm -hmm. are so far beyond and now everyone's like i don't actually need to be good at this (laughs) i mean i'm guilty of it too like even like i'm not a great vocalist but i sound like a great vocalist after i record myself because i comp so I get the best takes right. of everything. And then if it's still not quite good enough, I can tweak it with Melodyne and make the mm-hmm. note the right note. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's just wild. It's it's insane. Yeah. You know, uh, do you like dark mode, the new feature on the new on the new update? I haven't actually utilized it, but I, I probably would. My phone's on dark okay. mode and all that, so... Yeah, it looks good. Easier on the eyes. I mean, it looks good. It's yeah, it's it's nice. I I still think it's funny that Pro Tools is the industry standard because I I feel like a couple engineers that I've worked with, uh, namely Carson Slovak, who we work with the most, he he's contemplated like moving over to um, Logic or something. To you know Logic or yeah. something else. Yeah. yeah. And and it's funny. We'll be in the studio recording. And he'll be like, oh industry standard, huh? And I'll look up and it's like, you know, the rainbow of death yeah. or something's glitchy. And, um, it just makes you realize that if you are the industry standard, things better be streamlined and efficient. Yeah. Otherwise people are going to jump ship and they're going to find everything they can about your, your setup, your system or your, your workflow. That's not, yeah, you know, not, it's not efficient. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I like pro tools, but admittedly it's because I've been working on it and looking at the screen for, yeah, it's yeah, familiar. Yeah. 16, 17 years. And so for me, it, it takes me back to like, oh, yeah, I remember the first time I recorded and I heard my drum parts recorded into a system where I could hear it back. It's like I've been mixing up these colors for a while and now I can see the painting. And, yeah. and so when I see all the colors and I see Pro Tools running, it's just uh, it's familiar and it's also kind of, you know, kind of nostalgic. Yeah, that's true. I, I think I feel the same way. I think the only reason I haven't really switched not that I'm unhappy with it, but I haven't switched just because I'm so familiar with it. I know the ins and outs. Exactly. You know, yeah, familiar and brings back good memories and everything you just yep. mentioned. It's it's so true. But, uh, you know, admittedly, I, I know a lot of people, you know, working at Guitar Center, you got both worlds. You know, you got the Logic people. You got the Pro Tools people. Most of the Pro Tools people hated Logic. Like, they tried yeah. it. And they hated it. They went back to Pro Tools. A lot of the Logic people, though, were like, I like Pro Tools. I just like Logic a little better. You know, it wasn't Uh like a stark difference. So I don't know what that means exactly. If it's just like, you know, Logic is just, it appeals to a certain audience. I know like Mac users typically will go the Logic route just because it's, you know, built for Macs. But um, Mm -hmm. 
you know, even the even the logic users are just like, I just like it a little better than Pro Tools. They're not necessarily against yeah. Pro Tools. So Pro Tools still has that going for them that pretty much anyone can use it and appreciate it, know that it's a good tool and might just have a preference. Whereas with Pro Tools, it's like if you're used to it and you try to go to something else, yeah. all hell break, breaks loose. <laughs> you know? True. That's true. Um, it's less of a transferable um uh, setup mm-hmm. or software, you know, yeah. I guess uh, user interface mm-hmm. would probably be the best way to put it. Speaking of which, um, the the drum sample program that I've been working on for a couple of years with Carson and Grant, it is coming. It, it's 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 almost there. That's awesome. I just got a sample video of what it's going to look like, um, you know, after purchase, uh, just basically browsing the setup and what yeah. it looks like, you know, when you click on the, the um you know, the different drum samples and you're navigating the screen. It, it, it's, it's exciting to have it almost there. For those that don't know what this is, um, let's say you are a drummer or let's say you're a band and, and you don't even have a drummer and you want to record your own song or album. Um, you can actually download uh, this, this um, drum sample pack and you can have my drum samples from over the years and by over the years, I mean over the years, we've tried, we've recorded in three different locations on like six different drum sets. And some of them we trashed because we weren't happy with them. It, the The call for perfection is, is so high on these. I mean, if there's any room noise at all, and I mean like a light bulb mm-hmm. in the uh, recording, it's it's bad. You have to throw it away. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, what you'll do is you'll you'll buy this program and you'll have you know, five of my snare drums, three of my kick drums to choose from, six or seven different toms, like 15 different cymbals. And you can choose which one you want and then you can program your drums for your song using my drum samples. Um, And of course, there's all the different velocities all the way from ghost notes um, to rim shots for every single drum and every cymbal and every single cymbal. Obviously not rim shots for cymbals, but you have... Uh, soft, medium, soft, medium, medium, hard, hard uh, for cymbals. And then for drums, you have um, ghost note, soft, medium, soft, medium, medium, hard, hard, rim shot, side stick, rim click. And how many different variations of each of those velocities? You do, I had to record um, on average 10. Yeah, so that's and a lot. And of course, you have, to have, you have to have decay in between each hit. Yep, so like, yep. um, you, can't, you can't just hit a snare drum... And they hit it again. Right, you have to wait. There's, it's still decaying. Mm-hmm. So you, I set a metronome, and I set my uh, stopwatch, and I wait on average 10 seconds <laughs> between each so one. That's a lot of variation. Um, for those of you who don't work with samples, or for those of you who do, <laughs> 10 uh, at each of those velocities is, like, major. It, it really makes your sound, your, your drum sound different. You can play a part, add those samples yes. to it, and it's really going to sound like you're playing a kit like because what a lot of people pick up on is like if there's that that typical medium hard hit that that you hear and you're playing a 4-4 beat and that snare is hitting like (laughs) you know 16 measures you're gonna pick up on the fact it's like listening to a sound machine when you can hear the loop you know Mm when you start to pick up on that same exact sound so when there's 10 variations even within that velocity uh it's much much harder to pick up on it and i'm assuming that is it are you are you releasing like a dmg file like is it something that they can add to a 
plugin or to a software or does it come with yes. the software too? It it comes with everything. That's awesome. Uh, That's really cool. Both independently, but it's going to be its own setup. And the way that we're doing it, we've actually built out um, our own program. So we're not utilizing, I can't remember the name that most people use when they do this. They pay a service so that they have the interface. They have the okay. look, they have the setup. It builds right into your Pro Tools mm -hmm. or whatever. Like Easy Drum, um, Drummer or uh, yeah. Drumagog yep. or something. Yeah. Right. In this case, it's its own entity. That's cool. I love that. Um, and so obviously it's, it's been years and years and years in the making, but once this thing comes out, we'll have to do a, you know, we'll have to do a giveaway for someone on here. And, and if this is lost on you and you're like, what are we even talking about? <laughs> just, just, just imagine, uh, listening to a song and the drums not being played by a drummer. Right. Mm -hmm. I know that might be a, a strange concept, but that happens a lot, especially in this day and age where you don't have to go to a recording studio and spend 20 grand to record an album, um, or a hundred grand. Uh, you can do it in a home studio mm -hmm. and drums being the most difficult thing to record because they're most dependent on the room sounding a certain way you can actually just sample which just means program which just means input the information into a computer and you have your drum track without it ever being played yep. so what this drum sample pack will will allow you to do is have mm -hmm. drumming um that i've i've actually played you know these parts uh and you're going to be able to download them and you know, use them. Um, so I'm expecting this to be out in the in the near future. Uh, and when it's exciting, you know, when it comes out, we'll have to announce it. Yeah, for so. sure. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, so to that point, um, let's hop into drums. Yes. Our, uh, the way we format Holy Ghost Notes, in case this is the first time you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> we do drum topic and then God topic. And uh, today's drum topic is based on daily practice. Yep. So... Um, I'll start this one off. Yeah. Uh, I I want to talk about how to structure your practice um, in a way that gives you that sense of, of reward or payoff when you're done playing. Mm -hmm. And the way that I've structured this for myself is I have three different categories. So as you're listening to this, maybe pull up in your iPhone notes or jot this down. You're going to have a blank line for, um, spelled F-O-R, a blank line. So you're going to have three different categories for this. So number one, blank line, four, blank line, um, double bass for 30 minutes. Okay. Line number two, August Burns Red Songs for 90 minutes. Line number three, Blast Beats for 10 minutes. And that's actually exactly what I'm doing right now in preparation for our September, October tour, right? So I can sit down at the kit and if I don't have this format in mind, I might just sit down and go, and then I'm bored with that. And then I'm going, and after a while, um, I'm just not all that excited to play. And I, I get up and maybe the, the biggest travesty is that I don't feel like I've accomplished anything. I didn't start off with a standard of where I am and pursue a goal that I have in mind. I just sat down and played for a little while and then got up. Right. And for me, what I need to know is that what I'm doing matters especially on drums, because it's an enormous investment of your time, time that you could be um, spending elsewhere. We're all busy. We all have a lot of responsibilities. And for me, I need to know that what I'm doing is is uh, structured, even yeah. if it is just for fun. Right. Fun can be structured. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to lose that spontaneity. So for example, maybe as a listener, you could be thinking, hmm, that's too that's too mechanical. That's too thought out. Well, what you can do is, fun or spontaneous or improv for 
10 minutes. Yep. Okay. And at the end of 10 minutes, you might say, I'm not done with this. Great. Keep playing, but keep track of your time and then jot it down. Mm -hmm. At some point though, you you should go to the second line and the third line. And the second line for you might be rudiments for 10 minutes. And the third line might be play along with songs for 20 minutes, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and what this does is it formats your time so that much like going to the gym, you're working out different aspects of your plane. Yeah. If you go to the gym and you never do leg day, we all know what that looks like, right? Don't skip leg day. Um, and it would be easy to do that if, if people weren't saying, hey, you got to do legs. And if, and if you weren't saying to yourself, every Thursday I'm doing legs. In the same way, um, to be a proficient drummer and someone who continues to play for a long period of time, I think you really have to have this structure to your playing. Otherwise, you'll get lost in this abyss of like, yeah, I play sometimes, you know, uh, how long has it been? Uh, three months. Hmm. Well, at at that point, what's going to motivate you to sit down and play? Right. In my opinion, it is you sitting down right now and saying, "All right, I'm going to do this for this long, this for this long, and this for this long." Um, so I would challenge you as a listener to think about aspects of your playing that you both love and are challenged by. I like that. right. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Um, if as far as uh, like having a structure that is still very open, <laughs> there's nothing better than having those. I mean, you know, fill in the blanks is pretty much as yeah. you know loosey goosey <laughs> as it gets. But it, you know, right. it puts it puts that routine in, in your hands. You know, it's it's then it's up to you. What do I want to accomplish? I would say my my practice routine is similar in a way. I don't necessarily take that specific approach, although I think that is probably the approach I should take. Um, have it written down. <laughs> I, I'm always more productive when I write, you know, write things down. I write lists for myself for work. That's how I know what to do. That's how I know what I accomplished. Um, yeah. I track my time. When it comes to drumming, for whatever reason, I've always separated myself from that way of thinking because it does feel too whatever. It feels mm -hmm. too worky then if then it makes it mm -hmm. feel like it's a job but that's not the case here um and i want to stress that because um even though it's like okay now i have to have a pen and paper and i have to document what i'm doing or i have to plan something out why can't i just get on the kit like exactly what matt said like you can get lost and that's exactly what happens to me if i don't go to the kit with a plan of some sort even if it's not written down i find myself getting off the kit much faster than i would normally mm -hmm. <laughs> um mm -hmm. And and you know what? I'll I'll play devil's advocate for a second. Yeah. So let's say you're listening to this and you're thinking this is too mechanical, it's too thought out, it takes the fun out of it. I understand that. Um, but let me just defend my argument here for jotting down these three lines. It doesn't take a lot to remember the three lines. Yeah. I mean, you write it down once and you probably won't forget it, right? Right. right. So for me, I just I didn't even look it up. I thought about it before we started recording. I'm like, maybe I should look it up. But I, I know exactly what it is because I do it often. I don't do it every day, but mm -hmm. I do it I do it often. Um I do double bass, I play Augustman's Red songs, and I practice blast beats. And those are all pertinent to what I do for work. That's right. that is all important to what I do for the band. And so if you jot it down once or twice, then you really don't have to again. To play devil's advocate again, well, I don't want to be thinking about what I have to do. Yeah. Okay. 
um, then in that case, I think it becomes a personality thing. And in structuring your practice time, maybe what you're saying is, I don't want structure. Structure takes the joy and takes the motivation out of practicing. It doesn't give me motivation to mm -hmm. practice. And in that case, I would say um, you're still doing something <laughs> yeah. for a certain amount of time, right? Right. Yeah. And the foundation for what I'm proposing here um, can still be applied, which That's is right. that you need to look at areas of your plane that maybe you aren't as competent in. And what putting this down on paper, quote unquote, will do is bring those to light mm -hmm. so that it's not just put to the to the back burner and you don't get to it in your practice and by the time you think about it you're you're kind of done right right um so i understand that sentiment and to play devil's advocate i think those are important points some of this might be a personality thing or an enneagram thing mm -hmm. um but i also i also have seen in my teaching and working with drum students that this is something that usually people kind of bat their eyes at at first, and then they implement subconsciously into their plane eventually. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of these principles also apply to like, you know, like when I'm in, when I'm instructing somebody, um, you know, like so I remember starting off as a drummer, all I wanted to do was get on the kit, and and for the short time that I did take lessons, it was like, nope, we're not playing on the kit yet. You're starting on a pad, and 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 you have to learn these things first and then take it to the kit. Otherwise, you're just going to mm -hmm. be making noise. And mm -hmm. I think that's true here. Regardless of whether you like structure or value structure, there is a structure to whatever you're doing, even if it's madness um, right. <laughs> on the kit. You're just ignorant <laughs> of the structure there. So why not take that <laughs> and make it a productive structure to your practice? Like for me, I don't have time to necessarily sit at the kit for an hour and practice my linear fills. Mm -hmm. So in most cases, I am practicing that sticking at my desk or mm -hmm. at the dinner table, much to my family's dismay. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I'm I am training my head to to feel it, and you know, and so when I bring it to the kit, then I can play it. Um, and I'm still mm -hmm. usually starting off just with like kick and snare, you know. Right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left, kick. And and playing that until I really have this flow on the kit in this position, seeing the rest of the kit around me. Um, have you ever tried right, left, right, left, kick? I have. It's, uh, yeah. I love that. I love it over four because it, you Same. Know, it's like, a, what is it, poly, that's not polyrhythmic. It's, um, I forget the word for it. Like you keep your left high hat. It permutates. It permeates. Permeates. It's permutation. That's what it's called. Sometimes we'll have to talk about permutation. I love permutations. But I love I love permutations where it overlaps. Permutations. I love just like sounds like something that we used over you know COVID to keep our hands clean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, man, we're so done talking about that. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. But for so my practice routine, uh, because of my lack of time, usually I'm like really into a certain song or a certain band. And so I'll kind of binge listen to that 
album and get to know the songs a little bit, and then I'll just like throw it on on my iPod yeah. with uh, my iPod. I don't even have an iPod. My iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> who who that's listening right now is listening to this on their iPod? Yeah, it's Spotify iPod. on my iPhone. I should I should be clear about this. Uh, that's but, that's not that bad, Tim. I was no. just talking to my girlfriend about my my Panasonic Walkman, um, and and how I went on a camping trip. I was so mad because my parents were like, "No, you're not going to Creation Festival. We're going camping." And I was like, "But further seems forever's playing, and they're my favorite band." <laughs> Sorry, you're not going. So I went to <laughs> Provident Christian Bookstores, and I bought Further Seems Forever, Moon is Down. And I I don't think I ate, slept, or <laughs> used the restroom on that camping trip. I just sat in a bag chair and listened to that album on repeat out of just pure spite. spite. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't be there to watch them. I'm going to listen on my little, my little Walkman. And you know, that was just, that thing was awesome. To plug that thing, yeah. to plug your headphones into it, um, and so, you know, you mentioned iPod, I, I mean, iPod was techie compared to that. It thing. was. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I had the iPod touch before, like, like the touch screens were all the rave and stuff. Oh too. yeah. Um, but man, there was like 16 gigs on that thing. I was looking at my phone storage the other day and I have like a terabyte of storage. <laughs> I, I had Do to purchase really? iCloud storage, like the monthly because I have so much on my phone and I need to back it up to the, to the cloud. So I'm yeah, like using like half of my two terabyte plan already. Um, well, and to think back um, in the day, 16 gigs, man. That's Well, exactly. Yeah. Didn't Bill Gates say that we'll never use more than... Have you heard this? <laughs> yeah. Bill Gates said yeah. we'll never use more than... And I'm not going to put the number in here, yeah. but it, it, it was not a gigabyte. Mm-hmm. It was not even one gigabyte. Yeah. That's crazy. And I'm like, okay, we've definitely... Uh, oh, Yeah. I mean, now if you're going to buy a hard drive, you get a five terabyte hard drive. Right. That's just what you do. When right. I bought my Mac three years ago, I thought, oh, two terabytes is enough for hard drive space. <laughs> yeah. And then I purchased a cloud storage. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, it's like you just, yeah, things just keep advancing and, and moving on. But, uh, yeah. Well, to the point of drumming, that's what's kind of nice about drumming. Yeah. Drumming is still. Um, I feel like we're kind of we can kind of be stuck in time with drumming, mm. and how much can you how much in your life can you say that about? Yeah, that it's not advancing. Of, of course, there's technology, so much technology with drumming, but you still have vintage drums that people prefer over a brand new collector series kit. Right. Yep. You know. Yep. You st- um, yeah, you have DW coming up with these different ply constructions, and technology's just done a lot for drums but you still have the ability to sit down and play on any kit mm-hmm. and play a groove and not really be uh invaded or infiltrated with this idea of like i need technology to do this thing right. no, actually all you need is you in this thing mm-hmm. and i think that's that's part of the beauty of it for me it's like i it takes me back to playing in the barn plugging in uh headphones or even just putting in my <laughs> earplugs before i had headphones that were able to project volume into my ears you know loud enough mm-hmm. because at that point 2001 23 i like I, I don't think i had headphones that were good enough to do that i just yeah. wear earplugs mm-hmm. and we blasted the cabs you know as loud as we could so that i could hear what they were playing and you can't hear your <laughs> kick drum you can't hear anything yeah um and and uh 
so it's still I still I still go back there when I'm playing like in my head you know when I sit down to play um it it's it's nice to have a break from all the technology and yet at the same time it's it's amazing that we have the ability to like for example record this podcast it's true in a high quality format from home mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's insane um but at the end of the day like you still need to put the work in um you know on drums of course but even like with technology like a lot of people also take for granted like they're like oh you just use this program to do that but at least the people I know who are good at using these programs put a lot of time and energy into learning how to be, how to use these programs. Um, yeah. Even like I was talking to this guy, Mike, who we're going to have on the podcast at some point. He drums for Sean Mendez right now. And, and he integrates a lot of um, digital drumming into his... Uh, cool. Into his playing. And so, like... Um, I was watching something uh, that he put out, and he was just talking about how he had tried out for a gig, and they're like, you know, ha- you know, do you have like an octopad, or do you know how to, you know, integrate, you know, digital drumming into your drumming? And he just said, yeah, yeah, I know how to do that. Um, then went home and spent the next, you know, twelve hours. Oh <laughs> he, my went, gosh. he went home, bought an octopad, <laughs> spent the next twelve hours <laughs> trying to figure out how to use it. Um, yeah, and was ready for whatever, you know. <laughs> and walk like you, you know. know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, and I'm sure he'll talk about that in his episode. But um, you know, it's it's uh, there's something to be said too about the time it takes because I know like I'm still learning things about Pro Tools and about recording and about mixing. Um, you know, I have this incredible, uh, software that I use called, um, RX seven and it's by Isotope. And there's things that I never thought were possible that I can now do in this program, Mm. but I still have to learn how to do it. Like it wasn't like, it'll just do it all for you. (laughs) You know, I still have to know what I'm doing and I still have to learn how to use it. Like uh, you can't just remove like this. So this program will actually let me remove reverb which is crazy. Mm. Like you wow. can add wetness to dry, but to remove the wetness and make it dry is extremely difficult in in the world of sound. So this program will actually allow me to do that, but you still have to time, put the time in to know what how to do it. What would the application so. be for something like that? Where would you have a need to remove? So a really verb? good example would be go back to episode one of our podcast where you were talking in a spaceship. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I could probably remix that and cut out a in lot of In my kitchen. Or like even like hey. you sitting in the back of the bus and there's that constant hum of the engine. Oh yeah. You know? Well, get ready um, for that again, man. I can take I leave that for, frequency I leave for tour yeah. September See, 9th. Now so. I can isolate that frequency and cut it out completely. You're going to be putting this to work pretty soon. I will. Um, I will be. <laughs> I mean, what do we have? Six weeks until that? Yeah. Seven exciting. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You're, and you're that's putting f- that practice in for that. That's true. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so I, 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 part of me wants to go and start talking about, uh, the upcoming tour, but I know, um, you're short on time today, and I want to make sure that you have enough time to talk to tell the story that that you have planned for our faith topic. So I kind of want to transition over into that, and then maybe we'll hit on tour next episode. Sure. Well, you can talk about tour. I can talk about tour. No problem. Yeah. Well, I was going to have you talk about it. Your upcoming. Oh uh, well, that well then let's not talk about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right. faith topic tour. it is. <laughs> no, you're. You're staying I'm at just, home, and I'll I'm, be right here. I'm heading out. Yep. 
All right, faith topic. You ready? Yeah. <clears throat> All right, a friend of mine named Jim Ehrman, he's a teaching pastor at my church, which is called Ephrata Community Church. He told a story recently in a sermon. After listening to the story, it made me, it took me back to 2011 when I was in Austria. I was over there doing some ministry with um, a friend of mine from a church called Life Center, which is in Harrisburg, not too far away from here. And what happened in Austria was I, I went there to do what the pastor called beer and Bible study. Um, Tim, you would have liked that a I lot. I would like that. <laughs> um, and and uh, to do some teaching, some drum teaching, um, to do some performing. I played a drum solo in a bar and spoke about my testimony and just a number of different things, but really it had to do with meeting kids and um, <clears throat> and bringing them into this pastor's home. Mm-hmm. We had a friend there who was, who was very hospitable and well-to-do, and, and he had the ability to bring people in to his home and sort of just host them. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so we did this for, for 10 days, and then I ended up going back again a year or two later with Jake, um, who's the vocalist for my band. So anyway, while I was there, I was prophesied over, which which all that really means is, is someone was praying with me. He was a good friend of mine. His name's Dylan. And uh, God spoke to him <clears throat> about something that was happening in my life. So I'll get to the prophecy in a little bit. I want to start with the story. So this is my teaching pastor at my previous church preaching about Jonah, the whale, right? Mm-hmm. The whale story. Um, and here's what he said. So the most dangerous job you could have in the 19th century, up until I believe 1890, was to be a whale hunter or to be on a whaling ship to harpoon whales. And the story I'm about to tell you is testament to that. So there is a gentleman named James Bartlett. James Bartlett was on this whaling ship. And um, he was on this this boat, this ship, and they were in pursuit of a whale um, in 1892. So the story that I'm about to tell you was reported actually in hundreds of newspapers, but we're just going to read from one of them, which is called the Buffalo commercial. Um, okay, so the I'll give some pretense to the story and then I'll read directly from the Buffalo newspaper, okay? So you just have a better understanding of what's happening here. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the, the fishing crew that James Bartlett was a part of went out to chase this whale or a whale and they were leaving Nantucket on a boat called the Star of the East. They went down to the Falkland Islands which that's where the Pacific meets the Atlantic and it's incredibly fertile whale territory. Hmm. And uh, when they got there, they were disheartened because they, they didn't, they didn't see any whales, which of course is terrible news for, <laughs> uh, for a whaling boat. Uh, yeah. And eventually they spotted this sperm whale, this huge sperm whale. Now the way it works when you're hunting whales is um, you have whaling boats and you drop these whaling boats off of the main boat, right? So you have this this huge boat and you have these two little whaling boats. They're not huge. And the the goal on these two whaling boats is that one would stick the harpoon in and tire the whale out. 
and the second boat would be attached to the first one, um, which would work towards tiring the whale, you know, because the whale's dragging the first one and also the second one. And then once the whale's tired, they would stick it with the second harpoon, right? Mm -hmm. So two whaling boats drop off the main boat, spot this sperm whale, stick it with a harpoon, second boat's attached to the first one, the whale is tired out because it's now hauling not just one but two. And it's stuck with a harpoon. <laughs> okay. So everything worked out the way it should with the first harpoon. The second, however, not so good. It caused the whale to go, quote unquote, crazed, according to this newspaper. And what happened next, um, as Jim Merriman is telling this story, is, is just amazing to me. Just imagine yourself on this whaling boat. The slack on the line goes, the line actually goes slack. So the harpoon is in the whale. And... Your line connected to the harpoon, which is in the whale, goes slack. Now, there's there's three things that can be happening here. One, the whale shook the harpoon, right? You missed it. It shook it. It's gone. Too bad. Number two, the whale died in the process. And number three, which, in fact, this is what's happening in the story, the whale was charging back to the yeah, surface. Doubling back. <laughs> yeah, doubling back. Yeah. <laughs> so, in fact, it was the third. Uh, the whale is charging back to the surface. The whale breached the surface of the water and crushed one of the boats with its tail. It's in the process of like flailing and flapping. And it's almost like it's its last vendetta. Mm. You know, it's last, it's last like, I'm going to get you back for this. Yeah, I'm going to die in the process, but I'm going to take out as much as I can. In fact, the whale did die. Um, and and in the process of this, this whale flailing um, and crushing this first boat, uh, it killed a man immediately, and a man was thrown overboard in the process, right? One man down, another man over, mm. presumably dead. So th this actually was not an uncommon occurrence. Obviously, this is the most dangerous job in the 19th century. Everyone sort of bakes this into what, what could happen. Mm -hmm. So uh, they pulled everything they could onto the second whaling boat. Remember, the second boat is attached to the first one. The first yep. one's destroyed. Um, and they say, you know what? We got the whale... Uh, not an ideal situation, but we got the whale. They pulled the whale back to the main fishing boat, right? Which must have been an amazing task of strength um, to get this thing back because you're pulling all of the wreckage you can and the whale with one boat back to the main boat. They strapped the whale to the side of the main boat and they began the process of cutting the blubber off, which this is just standard procedure. It would strap the whale to the side of the boat and it, it took a... It, took it you know often took in excess of 12 hours in this case it was 16 hours yeah. and they would cut the blubber off sperm whales have four stomachs after 16 hours they came across one of the stomachs and as you can probably guess what i'm about to say they noticed signs of quote-unquote spasmic life within it they cut it open and james bartlett was alive in the stomach <laughs> <laughs> okay Wow. Poor James Bartlett. So <laughs> they doused him with seawater and he woke up a crazed man and just began, he just started babbling, right? And he was in a crazed state after awakening for three weeks. He sat in the captain's quarters and three weeks later, he started to pull himself together. At the three week mark, he relayed the story that I'm going to now read for you. Yeah, so this is from the Buffalo commercial, I believe it's called. Okay. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Still with me? 
I'm with you. Okay, here we go. They worked all day and part of the night. They resumed operations to the next forenoon and were soon down to the stomach, which was to be hoisted to the deck. The workmen were startled while laboring to clear it and to fasten the chain about it to discover something doubled up in that gave spasmodic signs of life. <laughs> the vast pouch was hoisted to the deck and cut open, and inside was found the missing sailor, doubled up and unconscious. He was laid out on the deck and treated to a bath of seawater, which soon revived him, but his mind was not clear, and he was placed in the captain's quarters where he remained for a fortnight, a raving lunatic. <laughs> he was carefully treated by the captain and officers of the ship, and he finally began to get possession of his Suzes. S-E-U-S-E-S. I believe that's senses. And boy, is that um, a weird looking N. Okay. Mm. <laughs> At the end of the third week. Suzes. I like that better. At the end of the third week, he had entirely recovered from the shock and resumed his sojourn in the whale's belly. Bartley's skin, where it was exposed to the gastric juices, underwent a striking change. His face and hands were bleached to a deathly whiteness, and the skin was wrinkled, giving the man the appearance of having been parboiled. Barlett affirms that he would have probably lived inside his house of flesh until he starved, for he lost his senses through fright and not through lack of air. He says that he remembers the sensation of being lifted into the air by the nose of the whale and of falling into the water. Then there was a fearful rushing sound, which he believed to be the beating of the water by the whale's tail. Then he was encompassed by a fearful darkness, and he felt himself slipping along a smooth passage of some sort that seemed to move and carry him forward. This sensation lasted but an instant. Then he felt that he had more room. (laughs) He felt about him, and his hands came in contact with a yielding, slimy substance that seemed to shrink from his touch. It finally dawned upon him that he had been swallowed by the whale, and he was overcome with horror at the situation. He could breathe easily, but the heat was terrible. It was not of a scorching, stifling nature, but it seemed to open the pores of his skin and draw out his vitality. He became very weak and grew sick at the stomach. He knew that there was no hope of escape from his strange prison. All right, listen to this. Death stared him in the face, and he tried to look at it bravely, but the awful quiet, the fearful darkness, the horrible knowledge of his environments, and the terrible heat finally overcame him and he must have fainted for the next he remembered was being in the captain's cabin Hmm. the first thing i thought of i don't know what you're thinking as a listener right now but the first thing that came to mind is jonah Mm -hmm. which of course is the point of me telling this story and my teaching pastor my friend the teaching pastor's point but the first thing i thought of is did you notice how it talked about first of all his skin the color of his skin Mm-hmm. how he had the appearance of being parboiled. His skin was a deathly whiteness, and it was wrinkled. And I just thought about Jonah walking into the city of Nineveh, and he looks like a crazed man. He looks, mm-hmm. obviously, like he has been through an, an unbelievable situation and has made it out alive, right? And and second of all, right. you hear the, the desperation um, that this man felt in the belly of this whale. So um, what does this have to do with me being in Austria? Well, in Austria, my friend Dylan prayed over me, prayed with me, and God showed him that I am 
being called out of the belly of a whale on the dry ground to my Nineveh, quote unquote. And I prayed about it for years. And what, I, what I've come to realize is that I am not someone who um, feels incredibly comfortable on stage or in front of a lot of people. I grew up with a speech impediment. I faced, I faced that challenge and prayed against it and, uh, 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 you know, really struggled with the anxiety that comes along with that for years and years and years. And I didn't necessarily want to um, deal with the pressures that, that, that came with being in the performance world. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's so much that's amazing to it. But I wasn't, I was kind of shrinking back. I was the drummer in the band and I was doing what I was doing, but I wasn't really walking out and I wasn't really interacting with people the way that I could have been. And what this prayer meant for me was that God was calling me out of my discomfort into a place where I was interacting with people who I needed to hear from and who needed to hear from me. Yeah. And so what I want to talk about is something that can apply to all of us. And that is, I want to read the prayer that Jonah prayed in the belly of this whale. So Jonah is running away from God's calling him to Nineveh. Much the same uh, as as me not wanting to interact with people because of you know my reasons for doing so. And at one point, there's a terrible storm, and the men on this ship, along with Jonah, say, hey, what's going on? Something's going on. This is not normal. Jonah says, throw me over. It's my fault. And he gets swallowed by this whale. And while in the belly of this whale, keeping in mind what the account of James Bartley is, Jonah says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. For those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Not long after that, he spit out um, onto dry ground and he heads towards Nineveh, the city that he had been fleeing and running from, where God had called him. And God's heart for this city is that they turn around. And he's asking Jonah to go there and 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 plea uh and 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 preach this powerful moving message of please repent, please turn around. God loves you, God wants you. Keep in mind what Jonah just prayed in the belly of this bell, this powerful prayer. And yet when he gets to Nineveh. It seems as if his feet hit dry ground and he forgot. He forgot what it is to be humbled. If He forgot what it is to be desperate. He forgot what it is to feel God's grace. And this is what he said, this pathetic eight-word call to action. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's what he said. He's, he's standing in the, in the city square in Nineveh and the best he can do is to say, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He's overcome with bitterness. He doesn't want to be here. Not long prior to this, God had saved him from his own, his own you know, reckless behavior from death in the belly of this whale, and already he's forgotten it. And so what I want to say, what I want to talk about with you, Tim, is I believe that we need to listen to the sound of our prayer when we're at our lowest. Hmm. And we need to acknowledge that when things are going well in life, when our feet hit dry ground, too often we forget. 
We forget what it is to be desperate. We forget what it is to be humbled. We forget what it is to, to know God's grace. I'm guilty of this. First and foremost, I am guilty of this. And that's, that's why I want to talk about it. This is important. Um, we can learn so much from the belly of the whale Mm. In closing before I want to hear what you have to say. I have, uh, nope. I don't have them. (laughs) I thought I had, um, so my, excuse me. So on my sticks, I have a whale. And, um, the reason I have a whale is because of this story. Yeah. Um, years ago I was prayed over and this idea of this whale is just really, really appealed to me in a mm. way that it, it really feels like God has given me so much grace in this area of my life to know that when I'm on a high and my, my, my uh, feet hit dry ground, um, he still loves me, even though I'm just independent of my need for him. And yeah. when I'm at my lowest and I'm, and I'm challenged by something, he meets me there when my, my prayer is more uh, sufficient Yeah, in both cases. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Does that make sense? It makes total sense. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, first off, I want to say, when you described being eaten by a fish just now, it was very different than what I remember reading in my children's Bible stories where yeah. Jonah had a candle and was making friends with the fish next door. <laughs> uh, it was much brighter and <laughs> a little bit more livable, um, spacious, perhaps. Uh, right. <laughs> but <laughs> Make, making uh, friends with the fish is that's true. That's the way they're portrayed. It's, it's uh, like, and, and there's like a turtle the in there. And there's yeah, a fish in there. It, it, it kind of <laughs> takes the impact away of from the from the entire story. Because um, because you know when I read Jonah, I mean when I read that story now, I actually see the change in Jonah prior to the fish. Like, he mm. changed on the boat when he was like, this is my fault. Throw me overboard. <laughs> like, pretty much sacrifice me. Like, I'm sacrificing myself for the for the sake of the crew and the ship. That's you know? right. And that's a big change just right there. Um, True. And then he gets eaten by a fish, and, and the way that I've always heard it told, it's like the fish was the saving grace. But <laughs> in this case, hearing it that way, it's like this fish was just more torture. <laughs> like it, yes, it saved his life. He didn't drown, but it was just more torture. Um, but yeah, so so my thoughts on this, um, this hits home. I I've talked a little bit about like the dark times that that I've had and and when I've been at my lowest. And and I love the idea of so if we if we take ourselves um, and look at a, like so, so Matt, you're a, you're a cup, and I'm a cup, and when we're at our best, when when life is great, that cup is filled with uh, with water, we'll say. Um, and when we're at our lowest, that cup is much less full of that water. You know, we're at, say we're, you know, there's a few drips on the bottom. God meets us where we're at. So in my mind, that's, that sounds like God filling that cup <laughs> back up. Um, and, and for me, what, what cup would you rather have the, the cup filled with you or the cup filled with me or that cup filled with God? Mm. Um, and that's been my experience. Like when I have those really, really dark times, they are dark, they are hard, they are difficult, they are not fun. But when I look back at those times after getting through those times, and I always do, 
<laughs> I look back and I see God. I see God carrying me through that. I see the things that I learned and I, I, I saw how I relied on God completely hmm. and how he, he carried me through. And, and those are the times now when I have doubts and when I have, um, when I question things, I fall back on that because that is truth. That is uh, a, a, an exact representation of a time where I couldn't do it and I would have been done. I would have drowned if it wasn't for God filling my cup. And and so when I put it that way, that fish was God. Hmm. It still sucked being in that fish. But God carried Jonah through and brought him where he needed to be. And then he didn't want to be where he wanted to where he needed to be, but you know, tough shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's where you are. Um, yeah. but the thing I I actually want to take it to another place and that's that um this has to do with, you know, with you when you had your speech impediment and, and Jonah um, literally getting to uh, Nineveh and having the, the wrong attitude and the worst idea. It's that, like, in the Bible it talks about um, a mouthpiece, right? That, you know, um, and, and my prayer as of late, and especially with this podcast, since we started talking on this podcast, like I, my prayer is that God would be my mouthpiece because I know I don't have the words to say, you know, like when I go into this, this conversation, I'm I'm being honest and I'm, and I'm talking from my heart and I'm talking from my experiences, but ultimately the only time that anyone is going to be impacted or resonate with something that I'm saying or, um, you know, feel those quote unquote Jesus chills is when God is, is in it is when God is that mouthpiece. And so that is, that is my prayer in every situation. <laughs> I am, um, you know, that there's that verse greater is he that is in me than he that is, that is in the world. And it's like when, when God is, when, when I'm at my lowest, God has to take the rest. Hmm. <laughs> and so I'm actually, better prepared when I'm not feeling at my best because ultimately I I don't have what it takes regardless of mm. where I'm at. I need that. I need God, you know? So <laughs> that's that's my thought about it. That's um, really good. That and is I think really good. I love the story of Jonah so much because there's so many different lessons. There's so many different traits that we learn about. You know, we learn about uh, – uh, obedience or disobedience in Jonah's case, um, we learn about this very thing, you know, being, you know, God being a mouthpiece. It wasn't like, why did God need Jonah? Because Jonah was a stuck up brat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> God could have used someone who was an eloquent speaker and who had a heart for Nineveh. That's right. <laughs> he took Jonah and Jonah did everything he could to run away from it and ended up being exactly what Nineveh needed. And that's the kingdom of God. It's mm. an upside down kingdom. We've talked about it before. It's like, it doesn't make sense to us, <laughs> but there's, but God has this plan. God took, took you. Uh, I mean, if someone were to come up to you as a kid with your, with your speech impediment and say, someday you're going to have a podcast. You're going to talk into mics every, every other week. <laughs> I mean, like, what? And you're going to like it. <laughs> and you're, you're going, going to, like to want it. to do it. 
You're going to want to do it. It's like <laughs> like that for me is is mind-blowing, you know? Man. I mean, thankfully, I you didn't have to get swallowed by a fish to get here. But You're geez. not kidding. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have. Thank you, God. Um, yeah. You know, when Jonah walked into that city, if it's anything like James um, in the story I just read, think about how he looked. Mm, yep. And I just think, is it coincidental that those gastric acids in the belly of that whale changed the color of his skin so that when he walked into the city, he was wearing the pain and the suffering and the challenge and the and the and the hardships of what he just went through. Mm. I don't think it is. I think it's. I think it parallels what I what we're talking about here, which is that yeah. God wants you because of what you've gone through, not in spite of it. He could have had anybody go into the city, like you said. He could have had yeah. the most proficient speakers. There were Billy Grahams of that day, I'm sure. Oh yeah, who loved the city of Nineveh and who knew the right things to say, but they would be walking in with their hair slicked back and their shirt tucked in and somehow, some way God, God designed life to be an upside down kingdom so that when Jonah comes walking in looking like a ghost who just got spit on dry ground by this whale, <laughs> yeah. people listened Mm-hmm. people listened to him and it certainly wasn't because of what he said and it certainly wasn't because of his attitude mm-hmm. or because they knew he loved the city God spoke through his shortcomings and through his deficiencies and I think that that's true of me and what I do I think that there's a part of my heart that will always be soft towards people who not only have speech impediments or struggles, but just when you go through something, when you face those kind of you know difficulties and you pursue something that scares you, it gives you a certain sense of empathy for other people mm-hmm. that um, that also feel like that. And yeah, um, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to do this, and I just mm-hmm. hope that my <laughs> prayer isn't <laughs> eight eight words long and as lousy as Jonah's. But I know at times it is, and yeah. so this is a valuable lesson mm-hmm. <laughs> because when we're in the belly of the whale, man, we we'll we'll pray anything to get out of it. Yeah, we'll pray. That's we'll true. pray the most. We'll pray the most wordy <laughs> prayer you've ever heard. I mean that that's probably just a little excerpt of what he. He actually oh, yeah. prayed. And then, and then mm-hmm. when he gets to dry ground, it's like, all right, I'm good. I'm, what do I need to do? Let's just go, <laughs> let's just go home. I hate this place. Yeah. I think one thing I want to say too, in closing is, is, you know, some of us might not identify necessarily with Jonah, but some of us might be the, the person who's been in Nineveh for the last 10 years with a heart for Nineveh and the way with words, and we've been ministering in Nineveh, and then this rando dude comes in <laughs> from the belly of a fish and, and says God called him to, you know, to save Nineveh. And, like, how I would feel if that happened, because I've seen it happen in ministry, you know, where there's someone who's been there, they've been at it, they feel called to it, mm-hmm. um, and they're working so hard, they have such a heart for it, and then someone comes in and... And things start to change and God mm-hmm. starts to move and they can, you can feel resentment towards those people. I think like, let's just be mindful that sometimes it's the person with less of themselves mm-hmm. that's been broken down and beaten and God has to fill them up and, and they don't want to be there and they're called to it, 
that's sometimes where God's going to move. And we have to, as, as Christians, um, especially we just have to be mindful of that, you know, Mm. sometimes what we want to do or where we feel called, sometimes there's someone else (laughs) that God is actually bringing in to, to do that work. Um, that is so true. Because that's so a tough true. thing for me, especially. Well, for anyone, I'm sure. But that's, yeah. you know, when you can start to, you know, recognize your pride and <laughs> your, you know, just, yeah, just be mindful of that. Yeah. I don't know who needs good. to hear it. It popped in my head and like someone needs to hear that. So hopefully that mm. was helpful to somebody. That's anyway, great. We are, we are out stuff, of time man. for today. Uh, thank you so much. I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, some new Inner Circle members. So, Shout out to Chris Morgan, Melody Ramirez, Spencer McKay, and Colin Hillberry. Thank you guys so much for your support. Thank you guys. Um, for any of you listening that's like, what the heck is the Inner Circle? Uh, you can check it out, patreon.com slash holyghostnotes. Uh, a bunch of different tiers that you can, uh, uh, levels of support that give you various incentives. Um, and uh, yeah, it basically keeps us going and keeps this podcast going and and uh, we've got an amazing community which we refer to as the inner circle um underneath this podcast carry on the conversation and and uh having a good time so that's right check it out if you're interested uh thank you all for listening today and uh we will uh we'll see you next time awesome stuff man good talk yeah it was great peace peace Peace. hit the mic (laughs) 